0: We are continuing our sermon series through the Psalms this summer, and what we just sang is essentially our sermon text for this morning Psalm 46, that God's people have been singing the Psalms for nearly 3,000 years in some cases. That's a long time for us to be singing these psalms. And Psalm 46 is one that has been sung a lot, in large part because our opening hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is also based on Psalm 46. That that hymn, both the music and the lyrics, were written by the German reformer Martin Luther. That Luther clearly enjoyed that psalm because he faced great opposition in his life. He challenged the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church of his day and often he had to stand alone to defend his critical words against the corrupt church. So Luther very much felt like a city under siege, having to withstand repeated assaults against his beliefs and against his own person as well. But we see from his love of this psalm that Luther found strength in God, strength in God's Word, and he saw it as a fortress of protection, trusting that even if he was killed, God's truth would ultimately prevail against error. And so, knowing that these words have been so helpful throughout the history of the church, they are the inspired Word of God. After all, let us turn in our Bibles to Psalm 46. You can look in the bulletin or you may use your Bibles. Psalm 46, we're looking at the whole psalm, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear the word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we give thanks for the reading of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we do have your word and that you have preserved it throughout the ages, that it has been a great help. It has been, in fact, our very life for generations and generations. And so, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today. Lord, use me in spite of my sin and my weakness to faithfully proclaim your word, expounding and applying it to us. And Spirit, move in the power of your word. Go forth as you have promised that the word will go forth and accomplish that which you purpose it to do, O God. Work in our hearts, open our ears, open our hearts and minds to receive your word today, to be challenged by it, comforted by it, and to grow closer to Jesus by it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we look at the passage this morning, we have a passage that helps us in times of trouble. That's really what we've got here. And so what I want us to see is how this passage helps us in times of trouble, the hope that it ultimately gives us, and then finally, I want us to just think clearly about the kinds of trouble we face today and how to face them. So the first seven verses of this psalm reveal for us how God faces us, how God helps us face trouble in the world today. And we see first a general picture of troubles, and then a specific kind of trouble. And so the general trouble we face, we see in verses 1 through 3, and it begins with those words I had the kids say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble." Now, those are worth memorizing if you would like. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Let's think about those words there for a minute. God is our refuge, meaning he is where we can go when we are weary. When we are in need of protection, he is our safe place to go. He is our refuge. God is our strength, meaning that he gives us the ability to keep going. To endure whatever it is we are facing when life is difficult. God is our strength. God is also a very present help. Meaning He does not leave us alone. He is there with us, helping us in hard times, promising not to leave us. And that is true in trouble. In whatever difficulty, in whatever danger we face today. I mean, verse 1 is just gold. I love it. It's a wonderful source of comfort for believers. It's clear why this psalm has been held dear by so many. And it goes on to explain what we are to do with God as our refuge and strength. It says, therefore, we will not fear. So because God is our refuge, our strength, our help, we do not need to fear the trouble that we are facing. And the extent of this comfort is shown in four statements there in verses 2 and 3. These examples of the kinds of trouble we can face. He says, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So the imagery here is of earthquakes, of global catastrophe and calamity. It's the kind of thing you see in disaster movies when the asteroid is hurtling towards the earth or something like that. This is the kind of danger we're talking. What we what we see here is the world falling apart and the things we view as most solid and immovable mountains being moved into the thing that is most chaotic and turbulent and uncontrollable, the oceans. But this verse is not here just to speak to us in the event that a meteor someday comes. Or if we're living on an island and a volcano is erupting, or if we're living out west and the earthquake comes and we start shaking. No, it's it's speaking to a broader kind of trouble than just that. Because the world can seem to fall apart around us when disaster strikes us. When we unexpectedly lose our job and we're like, now what? It feels like the earth gives way. When we go to the doctor and we receive test results and we hear the big C word, cancer, or some other serious disease, the world shakes. When we suffer the sudden death of a close loved one or family member, the world seems to shake under our feet. Yes, the entire world may not shake for everyone, but our world is greatly shaken. And yet Psalm 46 encourages us not to fear because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in those kinds of troubles. And so this psalm can speak to any general problem that we face in the world. But starting in verse 4, the author of this psalm narrows the focus to a specific kind of trouble. We move from a world in chaos and upheaval to the image of a city under siege, leading us to consider the specific problem of enemy opposition to God's people. That was the kind of trouble that God's people knew all too well in the ancient world, that Jerusalem, God's holy city, was under siege a number of times when enemy armies encamped around them, making war against them or just waiting them out until they starved. But Psalm 46 encourages us in that kind of situation when we face enemy opposition to trust in God as our fortress. Verse 4 describes this river running through the city to make it glad. Now that's an interesting image because Jerusalem is not like Pittsburgh. It does not have rivers flowing through it. And so they were at great threat in a time of siege. It was a symbolic image that They may not have what they think they need, but they have the Lord with them, like a sustaining river to nourish and strengthen them when under attack. We saw that image most beautifully in Revelation 22 in our New Testament reading of that river that flows from God through the city, bringing life to all around it. And so God's presence assures that no matter the opposition we face, God's people will not be moved. And that word moved is used in verse 5. It's the same word for the mountains. So even though the mountains, these big mountain ranges in the earth, even though they may get lifted up and thrown into the sea, God's people will not be moved because God is with them. That even though the enemy armies may assemble and seem far more numerous and superior, God's people do not need to fear Because all the Lord has to do is speak and the earth melts. It takes zero effort for God to be victorious over those who oppose him because he is the Lord of hosts. He is the almighty God who reigns over heaven and earth. And so we are told he is our fortress. But you still want to be sure. Is he really a good fortress? Is he secure enough? I'm sure turtles want to test their shells. How strong is this? What can I withstand? Is trusting God a good strategy? That when the mountains are shaking around you, when enemies are circling you, you want to know, can I trust in God? Can I find security and strength in Him? And beginning in verse 8, we are told, just look. You can trust in Him. Fix your eyes on what God has done and will do in the future. He says, look at how God has brought desolations on the earth. Think about the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. God sent devastating plagues on the Egyptians that decimated them. Israel didn't conjure those up. God did all that. And then, when the Israelites are encamped by the sea and helpless, and Pharaoh and his army comes with all of his chariots, God protects them keeps them away, opens a path where there is no path, lets them get through, crushes all of them to protect his people. Look at the desolation that God has brought on his enemies. God did the same when Israel came into the promised land. The Bible tells us that enemies melted in fear before God. And God's people easily conquered the occupied land. No enemy stood a chance against God. And if that is how things have happened in the past, Psalm 46 encourages us, look and imagine the promised future when God will judge all the earth. There will never be a day when God is under the judgment of His enemies. God is the one who judges. He will not fail. He will not falter. He will not be destroyed. God will be exalted. And with our eyes on that ultimate victory, we are told in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So you can think of that word, be still there, in two ways. First, you can think about it as God speaking to his enemies. He tells them, settle down. Give it up. It's like when Jesus calmed the storm he just gets up. He's like, be still. <laughs> it's just peace. In the same way, God is telling his enemies, guys, opposition against me. It's not going to work out. You might as well just come on over right now because you're going to get judged. Otherwise, be still, settle down. And so you can see it is speaking to his enemies. But more than that it is it is meant to speak to us. God's people telling us not to fear because God will be victorious. That if we stick with him, we are going to be good. Now, we may suffer illness and injury. We may suffer oppression and opposition. We may be maligned and marginalized. We may be threatened and even executed. But God wins in the end. He will be exalted. God and his people will reign forever and ever. And so we don't need to be afraid of the chaos in the world around us. God is going to make things right in the end. And he's already given us a glimpse of that in Jesus. Jesus was opposed. He was opposed strongly by the religious leaders of his day. And they used their worldly power to falsely accuse and sentence him to death. And he was physically under siege as they beat him and nailed him to a cross. And in his trouble, he did not have a river of water to help him and make him glad, he was thirsty. And he suffered abandonment by God the Father as an expression of God's wrath against sin. And when his body was laid in the tomb, it seemed to all the world that the God in whom Jesus trusted failed. And failed to protect Jesus. But God was exalted. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead in power and in glory. And He was victorious not just over those who put Him to death. He was victorious over sin and death. And now He brings peace by reconciling sinners to God and to one another in the church. And He promises to be with us always, sending the Holy Spirit to indwell His people like we have a river of living water flowing in our hearts. And so because of Jesus' past victory and His future coming, we who believe in Jesus should be better able to obey God's command to be still. And know that I am God. Because we have already seen a glimpse of that exaltation at the end. But I don't know about you, it's not just the young kids in here. It's not just those of us who are there tapping our foot because we just get antsy all the time. It, it's like hard to be still. That's one of those commands that we don't necessarily understand. And so what does stillness look like for Christians today? Well, let's, let's answer that by ruling a couple things out of what be still does not mean. Being still does not mean that God tells us, shut up and accept the problems of your life. Psalm 46 is not a stoic verse where we are told to be unemotional as we deal with life's problems. Trouble is allowed to hurt. Being still does not mean an absence of emotion. It means an absence of anxious fear. And in place of fear, yes, we can grieve. We can lament. We can groan. But we do so by looking to God who is providing us with security and strength, whatever we are facing. And so being still is not stoically accepting whatever comes without emotion. Second, being still does not mean that we are entirely passive in our troubles. When God says, be still, he doesn't mean what we mean when we talk to our kids, be still. No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean sit there and endure whatever you're facing we can be still and be active. We're allowed to be still and get treatment for our disease. We can be still and pray fervently. And so being still is more of an inner peace than an outer passivity of doing nothing. Ultimately, being still is an attitude that sees the present troubles we are facing as but a chapter in the bigger context of God's story in the world. We may not know how this chapter of our trouble is going to end, but we know how the whole story ends. We may not know how long this trouble may last, but we know it doesn't last forever. In fact, we may face many chapters of troubles, but we know a day is coming when trouble will be no more. And this hope in God's ultimate exaltation allows us to be still. But what about the specific trouble of opposition? Thankfully, I believe many, if not all of us, have not been in the situation where we have been in a city under siege. And I am fairly certain none of us have been trapped inside a turtle shell with a predator trying to get us out of that shell. But we do live in a time when Christianity is increasingly opposed in our culture. The world is growing less tolerant of Christianity. And we as American Christians are in particular suffering a kind of cultural whiplash where we have moved in a few short decades from an accepted and respected group to a rejected and stigmatized group. And so let's consider how to be still by looking at one of the most important practical examples of today. June apparently is Pride Month, if you have not heard. The Christian view of sex and marriage is strongly opposed in our world today, and a competing view of sex and marriage is loudly proclaimed and forcefully celebrated. And the freedom to believe and express a biblical view of sex and marriage is being assaulted by the strongest forces in our world. And in the face of such opposition, American Christians like us have a really hard time being still. Our knee jerk response is not be still, it is be anxious. It is have an anxious fear that is intensified by a polarized news environment that inflames instead of informs. And so we end up fearful, worried for ourselves, worried for our children, worried for our nation, worried for our churches. We are afraid of the direction things are going. We are afraid that such foundational values are being overturned with little concern for consequences. How can we be still? How can we be still when such trouble confronts us? Well, again, being still does not mean just suck it up and deal with it. We can lament the changes in our world. We can acknowledge the opposition is concerning. But instead of giving in to a paralyzing worry from fear, we can go and take refuge in God. He is still our fortress. We take shelter in knowing His word is true. The world may hate our views. Our own families may consider us bigots. But we return to God's word, trusting He defines truth. And we take strength from God in that truth, knowing one day the world will be judged on the basis of that truth. Pride may win the day, the month. that may win our nation It may be celebrated at the highest levels, but not the highest level. Not by God, not in heaven, and not forever. Okay, but what do we do? I just don't want to be still. We can't just sit there, right? Well, we don't want to be paralyzed by fear, but we don't want to act out of a desperate fear either that thinks we need to make things right at this moment now as fast as we can. We are often tempted to fight back, to win this world now, lowering ourselves to the tactics of this world. But instead of acting out of fear, we can cast all of those anxieties on God. We know how it ends. We pray for Him to give us peace. We pray for God to expose the errors of the world. And because we know that the world belongs to God and God wins, we can play the long game. We can focus on the source of real change, the Holy Spirit, who transforms sinful hearts through the word and prayer in the gospel of Christ. Now, that still all sounds super general. So let's look at Scripture. Where have we seen people have to act in stillness in this way? Think of the book of Daniel, where God's people lived as a strange minority in a pagan majority. There are three men in Daniel 3, and they are commanded to worship an idol, something God strictly forbid. And they resisted, knowing the consequences the government would give them. And they would not do what God said was wrong, even if the world said it was right. And so, if asked to affirm what is wrong, don't affirm it, stand firm. Be respectful, but above all, honor God and His truth. Or consider consider Daniel in chapter 6. Wicked men schemed to make common Christian behavior illegal. They used the power of the government to criminalize praying to God. And so what did Daniel do? Well, he had no ability to change the law, so he just obeyed God. He did what God commanded him to do even when the world said he would be punished for it. He stood firm on the truth. He worshipped God. He did not let fear of imprisonment or death stop him from finding his refuge in the Lord. In that same spirit, we can look back at Martin Luther. Luther saw a corrupt church. He humbly studied God's Word and he respectfully sought to address those wrongs but he was shot down by those in power. They tried to intimidate him and silence him. They repeatedly tried to make him recant and change his beliefs. And though he was tempted to give in, Luther took refuge in his mighty fortress and he stood firm. He found a God who could strengthen him to stand against all those opposed to God's word. And because of that, because of Luther and God working through him, many others have heard the word of God. Through Luther's voice, God's voice was uttered and hearts were melted by the gospel. The Spirit worked through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, saving sinners, saving people who had been opposed to God and his people. Now, not all of us are called to be quite as fiery or proactive as Luther, but we are all called to stand. We're all called to take refuge in our God. We are all called to be still, inwardly, knowing that whatever trouble we face, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help who will ultimately be exalted over all the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who has told us that You win in the end. Lord, the the verdict, we're not waiting on it. The final score, we know what it will be. Lord, give us that peace from knowing that you are God and none can stand against you. May we see that we ourselves at one time were opposed to God and we still have that sinful tendency to make ourselves opposed to you and not trust in you. We have that sinful tendency to let anxiety and fear overtake us. God, give us confident hope. Give us peace. Help us to stand firm and take refuge in knowing someday, sometime, Christ wins. Lord, answer our prayers. We do pray, O God, that the opposition would not be as strong, but Lord, whatever happens, may we find that refuge in you and be still. In Jesus' name, amen.